the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed it is. Good morning. Seven minutes after the hour of 9 o'clock, and we have begun on AM 1420. The answer, it's a Thursday, the ninth morning of the ninth month of the year of our Lord 2021. I appreciate you being with us. Coming up in about a half an hour, we're going to check in with our friend Jack Windsor. Jack Windsor is the founder of the Ohio Press Network. He is also our State House correspondent, and he broke a story yesterday. The Ohio governor's race may have just gotten a little bit more crowded yeah. So far, the only two big names that have uh, have surfaced as wanting to replace and primary Governor Mike DeWine are that of Jim Renacci, the former Ohio congressman, and Joe Blystone, a southern Ohio farmer uh, or rancher. And uh, no one else really has gotten into this uh, this race to try to oust Mike DeWine who has shepherded Ohio to the worst economy among the 50 states, who has shepherded Ohio into the worst job performance, and who locked the state of Ohio down, one of the very first in the country to do that last year, uh, costing un- untold numbers of people their long-held businesses, and even more, their jobs at those businesses. And now the uh, race is about to get a little bit more crowded. Warren Davidson, Congressman Warren Davidson from the Cincinnati area, is apparently about to make an announcement that he's going to be in. Jack Windsor broke this just yesterday, and we're going to talk to him about it coming up at uh, 9.35. Then at 10.10, we'll talk to Dr. Everett Piper as we do each and every Thursday. Now, today is a special Thursday for me because this is going to be my last chance to talk to you about the 
Uh, 9-11 terror attacks, the 20-year anniversary, which, of course, is Saturday. Uh, I'm going to be off tomorrow. My friend Rob Walgate is going to be in. I know he's going to do a phenomenal job, as he always does, but I will be away tomorrow. So today's going to be my last chance to talk about 9-11, and I plan to take that uh, uh, to take that time. It's it's a very important time for me. It's, uh, it's an event, the September 11 terror attacks in 2001, that changed my life. Um, it kind of... It kind of really launched a political conversion. I was uh, an apolitical Democrat voter prior to what happened on 9-11. And when I say apolitical, it means I just literally didn't pay attention to anything. I was just wrapped in my own little world of other things, and it just didn't matter to me. Didn't pay attention to it in college. Uh, didn't pay to it, to attention to it very much in my 20s. Uh, just, yeah, mom, dad were Democrats, so okay, I registered Democrat. It's the way I always was. Never really did a lot of research into it. Most of that changed, almost all of that changed on 9-11, which was three weeks after I became a father for the first time. And I knew there was something that uh, that needed to be done. I wasn't sure what, wasn't sure how, but that's when I started studying, and that's when I really started uh, looking more deeply into American history and more deeply into modern American history, more deeply into uh, the presidencies of Jimmy Carter and of Ronald Reagan and of the first George Bush, the Bill Clinton, George W. Bush, and so on and so forth, and looking into all of it to find out how and why we got to the place that we were when our world just turned upside down 20 years ago this Saturday. So ever since then, I've been even more of a student of history than I was before. I was a student of history, but I was, like I said, apolitical, not not staunch in, in just about any belief. I have, over 20 years, of course, become extraordinarily staunch. And I am extraordinarily convinced that I am extraordinarily right. And that we are extraordinarily right to be on the conservative side of the ideological scale, defending America first, national security first, and we'll worry about our partners later. We are America first, not because Donald Trump said so, but because our country's survival demands it. Uh, and that's something that Ronald Reagan preached and believed in. And again, maybe it was given a name under Donald Trump, but uh, there's uh, there's a lot of ground there that we're going to plow. All right, now before we get into that or anything else uh, this morning, I want to take the time to, and, and in fact, let me set this up, because it seems like every few days I get another story to tell you before we do our Pledge of Allegiance. This was um, posted and sent to me on my Facebook page, and I want to share it. I don't know the school. I wish I did. There is a Pledge of Allegiance request form that was sent home with the children in what is presumably an elementary school. And it says, Pledge of Allegiance request complete in return to your child's school. Now, again, I don't have the specific uh, details on where this came from, but here's what it says. Student name, grade school blanks there. And then, quote, you have to check check the box that says, I understand my rights as a parent, and I request that my child, noted above, be excused from reciting the Pledge of Allegiance. This request includes standing and placing his or her hand over his or her heart. Then it's got a parent-guardian signature space and a date with a picture of the American flag below it. A parent who got this before posting it wrote on the request slip, quote, 
This is the dumbest thing I have ever read, and I am so ashamed of this. I will second that emotion, and I will also point out the utter hypocrisy and ignorance of the school saying, if you don't want your kids to be proud of the country in which they live, if you don't want your kids to pledge allegiance to the country in which they live, here's your opt-out. And then they put a picture of the very flag that they are giving the people the opportunity to opt out of below it. I said this in a really lengthy opening monologue on the Prager show that I hosted on Tuesday. Um, didn't intend to, but I played the Pledge of Allegiance at the start of the Prager show. And I, I, I kind of told a story that I'll tell in a shorter version right now. And it kind of coincides with the 9-11, I guess. Um, I was asked to give a speech this coming Sunday. Uh, which I will do, about, and I'm not going to say what the event is because I don't know if it's supposed to be public knowledge or not, but I've been asked to talk about the four gravest threats that our nation faces right now, in my opinion, whatever they may be, because the person who asked me to give the speech said, we need to narrow our focus. We sit here and we complain about A, B, C, D, and E, and it's true. There are so many, and well, I guess the point is it's more than E. It's, it's you know, FGHIJKLO, there's too many of them. And when we divide our attention among so many issues, none of them get served. We have to focus on three or four core issues. So the friend asked me, to, to give a speech on that. And I said, I can do so, and I can probably name you the four core issues right now. And she said, what are they? And I said, I'll tell you, and I tell everybody else at the event. But as I was hosting the Prager show on Tuesday, I kind of just got off on a tangent about I could make a legitimate argument that what I just talked about is one of the four biggest issues. The lack of patriotism, the lack of belief in American exceptionalism, the lack of belief in American pride might be as big of a threat to this republic as anything else. The fact that kids don't have to stand and say the Pledge of Allegiance and aren't taught to have pride in the greatest, most uh, liberated country in the history of humanity, where freedoms exist like no other, the fact that kids aren't taught this to the point where they have organic pride and, and love of country is just an abomination, and it's so dangerous. But it's not just that they're not being taught to have pride in America. Rather, they're being taught by various organizations and through the use, useful idiots in the teachers' associations, the NEA and the AFT, and any teachers who are listening right now, well, you shouldn't be. You should be in class. Uh, but, but I'm sorry. I'm not talking about each and, one, each and every one of you to a man or woman. I'm talking about your unions. They're not only not teaching kids to be proud of America. They're teaching kids to hate America, teaching kids that America is a systemically evil place and always has been, and that evil lives in the hearts of those who founded this country and those that continue to run this country and those who are most populous in this country. American pride and a belief in American exceptionalism, a belief in American liberty is absolutely fundamental to remaining a world superpower. And when I say a superpower, it's not just for the gain of the wealthy Americans. 
I'm talking about when we are a world superpower, we are the world's most powerful economic force, the world's most powerful military force, yes, but also the world's most powerful humanitarian force. We are the greatest source for good in American era, in, uh, in world history. And all of those things will go by the wayside if we lose American pride and we teach our kids to despise and revile this country because they will run this country in very, very short order. And what they believe will, will be at the core of how they run these things. So having said all of that, with schools telling parents they can opt out of the Pledge of Allegiance because, and even putting their hand over their heart, with all of that, let's let the children lead us once again. Please, patriots, stand. Put your hand over your heart. Face a flag if you have one. Liberals, well, we know where you sit. You can sit this one out. Everyone stand up and say with me. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Nice job, everyone. You know, most of the time I play a dramatic reading of the uh, or reciting of the Pledge of Allegiance uh, that I uh, that I picked up somewhere along the line with nice music behind it. But every so often I want to play the kids and the kids. Well, the reason is what I just described. It's extraordinarily important for our kids to be behind this. Now, having said all of that, let's talk a little bit. And uh, and I'm going to open up the phone lines for you. And you'll have to do it before, between, and after guests today. I do have two, as I mentioned, Jack Windsor and Dr. Everett Piper. I'm going to ask for your 9-11 reflections 20 years later. I have recorded probably or set to record over the next couple of days, leading in, including on September 11th on Saturday, probably a good 30 or 40 hours of new documentary 9-11 programs with new footage, new interviews with survivors, first responders, victims, family members, and so forth. And I... Uh, I soak it up like a sponge every single year. Now, this year there is a ton of new programming and information that has come out uh, that, I'm, that I cannot wait to, to see and, and, and even discuss with you. That's how I commemorate the September 11th terror attacks. I go back and I relive them. And the reason I relive, relive them is because we said we would never forget we pledged 20 years ago to never, ever forget. 20 years later, there was a concerted movement to make people forget the terror attacks. There is a concerted movement to make people pretend it didn't happen or that it wasn't as bad as they thought or it's like, yeah, I remember that. You know, just kind of in, in passing. There's a Facebook page, a group that I belong to. It's uh, about the Twin Towers. And it's, uh, I can't remember the exact heading right now because I don't have Facebook open, but it's something to the effect of uh, remembering the Twin Towers in New York City or something like that. And because, again, this is just my my nature, um, I'm a part of that. I, I follow the posts. There are always pictures, amazing pictures of the construction of or the at the height of their glory, the towers. And, uh, of course, as we get closer and closer to 9-11, people have started to post some of the some of the bad ones. And the request from the moderators is that no one post pictures of the 9-11 attacks. We want to remember them in their glory. The towers and, of course, the people who worked and lived inside and those who died inside that day. They don't want to remember 
the agony and the pain. And it's my belief, and you can tell me if you agree or disagree. It's okay. It really is. I just like to have the conversation. It's my belief that if we forget the agony and the pain and the shock and the utter hopelessness that we felt as we watched that whole thing play out on our screens that day, if we forget all of that, then, and I hate to be cliche, then Al-Qaeda, then the terrorists, then the Taliban, then they have indeed won. Because we will not be prepared to stop it again. And I'm not saying it will be identical. It would be pretty hard to pull off a second time planes into buildings. But you understand, right? I will always go back and watch the footage of the planes striking the towers. I will always go back and watch the footage of people making the impossible possible choice of burning to death where they stood or leaping 100 stories to a sudden impact death on the ground. I will never stop watching the buildings collapse and the people running from the, uh, from the debris and the, and the clouds of smoke and dust and, 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 and whatever else is comprised. I'll never stop watching that. I'll never, ever want to forget it. Because the minute we forget it, the minute we is the minute we become more susceptible to the next time. So these are just some of my reflections on 9-11. As I said, I can't do it on tomorrow's show because I will be out, so I want to do it as much as I can today between and before our guests. And I welcome your reflections as well. 216-901-0945-888-281-1110. This is The Authority on AM 1420, The Answer. Download the free WHK mobile app and listen to your favorite WHK programs or podcasts on the go. It's free in your app store. Okay, 926. Thanks for being with us on AM 1420, The Answer. Yeah, you know, some people have, uh, over the years, and I've been, I've been on the radio every year since 9-11 happened, um, fortunate, I've been very fortunate to have a long career. It's now 24 years, going on 25 years I've been doing radio. And uh, every year since 9-11 happened, I've been fortunate enough to be on the air. And every year, somewhere, and every year I do this. And inevitably I get some people being critical and saying, you know, stop dwelling on the negativity and the horrors and so on and so forth and look to the future. And I understand. I respect every opinion on this. I just respectfully disagree. If we don't focus on the horror and the pain and the agony and the suffering of the day, we will not work our hardest to stop horror, agony, and suffering from returning. I just firmly believe that. And I welcome your thoughts. Rick is in Cleveland. Rick, you're on AM 1420. The answer. Good morning. Go right ahead, sir. Yeah, good morning, Mr. Franz. I want to thank you. Uh, I feel like I want to thank you for your service, just like I would uh, uh, any military or uh uh, police enforcement people. Most I just, definitely uh, do not do that. No, I, I I get what you're saying, but no, I that's that's too doggone close to uh, to stolen valor for me. Nothing compares to the sacrifice okay. of our servicemen and women. Uh, so, but I do, understood. but I do appreciate your kindness. Yes, sir. Thank you. Go, go right ahead, Rick. Uh, well, I the whole idea is that I appreciate what you're doing, and you're right. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely imperative that uh, your voice and others that are sharing the reality of these things uh, bring it to light. But uh, I, I wanted to add something to that that I feel I haven't heard yet uh, as much as I think it needs to be said. Uh, a great deal, a lot of the base, I think, of, of uh, conservatism 
can be found in it rooted in Christianity. And uh, while I am a Christian myself, I understand that the whole world is not Christian, and I'm not trying to force my beliefs. However, uh, I've, I've had it kind of because you know the haunting thought that one of the reasons that uh, of all the other reasons that were clearly defined uh, on how the election really got stolen in 2020. Uh, I believe that one of the key ingredients to that, honestly, uh, has been, and I love Donald Trump. I would vote for him again in a heartbeat at any time. Uh, he is everything that uh, he promised to be and more. However, I think where we got it wrong, honestly, as American people, is we started putting our faith in, in, in mankind over God. And what I'm saying is don't quit the fight, fight the good fight, do everything we're supposed to do, vote reach out to our Congress people and so on, do what needs to be done, but don't put our faith on the back burner, because I honestly believe that that's the key to success. Because when I look at the 2016, uh, the 2016 election, I do not believe that that was anything other than uh, the hand of God lighting that fire in so many people. I'm really serious about that. So I think with all the work that you do, uh, I hope that people will take that as an encouragement, because... If you think about God and who he is, uh, over all of this stuff, even the greatest and most stalwart and, and, and uh, noteworthy of our fighters for freedom and justice, Jim Gordon and so many others, uh, I think without that component, without recognizing we need to we actually put our faith where our mouth is, so to speak, I'm strictly speaking to my fellow Christians, uh, I think it's just really an important ingredient to be mentioned. And I thank you for allowing me to, to share that. Well, Rick, I, uh, I respect and appreciate every word. Thank you for the call. Um, you're not wrong. Um, I would probably lean a little bit more towards saying our Judeo-Christian values, because that's what this country was essentially founded upon and is a strong, such a staunch believer in, rather than just Christian values. I'm a Christian as well. But our uh, our Judeo-Christian values, I think, are what need to be embraced, and I think they may be at the core of the survival or the revival of a nation that is right now in peril. Um, I do not disagree at all. My problem with doing it, bringing it to the airwaves, quite frankly, is I'm not qualified. I'm not qualified. I say this all the time. Whenever I do get into matters of faith, I say, you know, I'm... Uh, I'm a layman. I'm not a. I'm not a biblical scholar. I can't quote chapter and verse. I don't preach, or uh, you know, I'm uh, you know, I'm, uh, I'm not a pastor. I'll do what I can as just a layman who's got thoughts and 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 views on all of this, just like everybody else. But I don't have the expertise to make it a centerpiece of what I do. Those who do have the, the ability, I encourage to do so. Thanks so much for the call. We'll be back right after this. Okay, 935, we'll continue on AM 1420. The answer now, we'll welcome Jack Windsor to our program. Jack Windsor is the founder of the Ohio Press Network, breaking news every day. He's also our State House correspondent uh, here for AM 1420, The Answer. Jack, good to have you back. How are you, my friend? Bob, I'm super fantastic. It's an honor to be here with you and everyone listening on AM 1420. Thanks for choosing. Well, 
I know you have been super busy doing a lot of work and breaking a lot of news. I'm going to talk to you about the Senate race. I want to talk to you about a conversation you had with a very prominent uh, national figure, political figure, uh, and his support for one of the members or one of the uh, individuals in that race. But I want to talk also about the governor's race and a story you and the Ohio Press Network broke yesterday. Uh, it has kind of been assumed, I think, by everybody that if we're going to get rid of Mike DeWine, those of us who want to, uh, it's going to be either Jim Renacci or Joe Blystone, the two names, the two bigger names that have been, um, you know, campaigning for this thing. Jim Renacci, of course, a former Ohio uh, congressman in uh, Ohio 16, and Blystone uh, just kind of a kind of a working man's hero to a lot of people in Southern Ohio, in particular. And Jack, the the race was just joined almost. You tell us how close we are to actually having this name uh, be included among the candidates for the primary and the Republican uh, gubernatorial race. Well, thanks for that intro, Bob. Uh, Ohio Congressman Warren Davidson, who's a Republican representing Ohio's 8th District, talked with me earlier this year, and he indicated then that he was looking closely at challenging Governor Mike DeWine next May in the Republican primary. And a source close to Davidson confirmed in an interview with the Ohio Press Network yesterday that the former Army Ranger business owner and two-term congressman is meeting with former President of the United States, Donald Trump, this week. And the speculation is that Trump may be inclined to endorse Davidson and um that would be a game changer for this race. Yes, indeed it would. Uh, you know, I, you and I have spoken about Davidson, I think maybe once on the air, but really a couple of times off the air about whether or not he was going to get into this thing. And, you know, the, the belief was that he was. But then, you know, the more months have gone by, and Jim Renacci has been very active on the campaign trail. He's been visiting a lot of places. He's attending a lot of uh, Republican functions, raising money and so forth. It kind of looked like this is it. It's really going to come down to Jim Renacci or Joe Blystone, and I don't think that was much of a competition in my opinion. And it was going to be Jim Renacci uh, against uh, uh, Mike DeWine, uh, really. Um, and now suddenly here we are. I was a little bit surprised to see your oh, the Ohio Press Network uh, breaking this yesterday. What, what, to your understanding, has made the decision for Warren Davidson that at this relatively late stage of September to, to go ahead and get involved? Well, when I talked with him back in June, uh, I asked if he would run. And he said that he had been asked by a lot of people, particularly people that he has a tremendous amount of respect for. And he said, look, if I had the absolute perfect hand, I would not play those cards until September. So he, you know, foreshadowed a bit back then that he may be waiting, you know, to, to play an ace. And, uh, you know, we wondered, well, why would he wait that long? Mm-hmm. But look, it's no surprise that Donald Trump uh, may want to endorse in this race Last November, uh, Mike DeWine said during a COVID press conference essentially that it's time to move on and accept then-President-elect Biden as the winner of the 2020 election, despite the fact that there were ongoing challenges, including court filings and recount requests. And soon after that, Trump tweeted, you know, the infamous tweet, he will be running for governor of the great state of Ohio, will be hotly contested. And so I think that he is uh, wanting to weigh in on this. Um, I think the speculation up to this point was that he might actually come down on the side of Jim Renacci. But if I'm looking at it from Warren Davidson's perspective, and that's dangerous, you know, this is just total hearsay. But if um, 
if Donald Trump says, hey, I, I want to you know, put my mark of approval on you, um, it, it would also appear that he would likely have the, the Jim Jordan uh, approval because they're from that same area and they have a history politically. Uh, you know, that just that changes the dynamic of the race quite a bit. Uh, I don't know if that endorsement is going to happen, but my, my gut tells me that he's not going to go meet with uh, Mr. Trump if he doesn't believe that he's uh, likely to get the endorsement. A lot of Senate candidates have met with President Trump trying to, you know, sway uh, him to get an endorsement in that case or that race rather as well to replace um, uh, Rob Portman. I don't know if one is forthcoming or not. I can certainly see the reason why they would try to do so in the same thing here, though. Um, my my as I try to, you know, kind of evaluate this or handicap this. I'm taken back to my own interview with President Trump uh, two months ago in June, in which I asked him about Mike DeWine and about uh, uh, and about uh, Jim Renacci, and he was, let's say, less than enthousi- less than enthusiastic about endorsing uh, Jim Renacci at that point. I thought he would be a lot more excited for that possibility, considering that he and his team actually are the ones that asked Renacci to abandon his gubernatorial race last time around so that he could challenge Sherrod Brown for Senate because they wanted to you know, keep a Republican majority in the Senate. Um, and they wanted to boot Sherrod Brown. But he was underwhelming, at least in my interview with him here. So it sounds to me like he's... He, his endorsement is up for grabs. It is available to Warren Davidson, but Jeff, uh, but Jack Windsor, I, I, I'm not convinced that he still isn't going to support Mike DeWine. I'm not. It, it is, <laughs> as, as different as they are in a lot of ways, I'm not yeah. convinced of that at all. Well, you know, let's let's go through that. And I remember your interview, and I remember hearing his response and going, wow, isn't that interesting? Because he was in Ohio, and when he was in Ohio twice, mm-hmm. uh, the first time he mentioned Governor DeWine, everyone booed. And so I think he, you know, may have thought, well, wait a minute, what's going on here? You know, the other thing is uh, President Trump is certainly somebody who appreciates theatrics and politicking. So, you know, you read into that and go, well, does he support DeWine or is he kind of waiting to play the proverbial and pardon the pun Trump card until later in the race? But, you know, he did come to Ohio and some people would argue that had uh Trump not come to Ohio in the waning days of that gubernatorial race and stood on the stage and endorsed Mike DeWine, that DeWine likely would have lost that race. So there is some connection there. There is some heritage there. But, uh, you know, to me, the way that Mike DeWine handled himself last year, understanding Donald Trump's personality, uh, it, it would seem to me that he's probably in opposition to DeWine. I could be wrong. I'm wrong a lot. But is so interesting. We're going to see and, and uh, well, hear quite a, quite a lot in the next few weeks. Well, Jack, you, you make very good points. You know, here's, here's what I would say. Um, when we were in the middle of this mess last year before the election, the mess being Ohio being shut down and so on and so forth in the, in the height of COVID and everything else, um, you know, most of us were so hypercritical of DeWine for this mandate and that mandate and this decision and that decision. And when President Trump came to Ohio, the, he, I, I recall this very vividly. Um, he mentioned the name of Mike DeWine and the crowd booed like crazy. And he actually said, what's that all about? You know, he's a good guy. He actually defended him and was surprised to hear Ohioans really upset, which said to me he did not have his, you know, ear close to the ground in Ohio to see this ground swell of opposition to Mike DeWine. Um, and then, again, during my interview with him, I was reminded about how much 
uh, stock that President Trump places on winning. Uh, and, and when I mentioned Jim Renese to him, because I knew he liked Jim Renese and, uh, and, and, and had supported him for, for Senate, he said he didn't do too well in his race against uh, Brown. And he said Mike DeWine won. And, and and that's Donald Trump. I think his his bottom line this year: if you're a winner, you're a winner. If you're a loser, you're a loser. And that doesn't necessarily mean to be insulting. But if you've lost a race before, I don't have faith that you can be a winner. And if you've won a race before, even if you're not my top guy like Mike Dewine, but he's won before, then I'm going to back winners. I I kind of feel like that's his. Uh, it's his personality. That you that is a fantastic point, and I think you hit the nail on the head. Uh, he likes winners and doesn't want to support losers. It'll be interesting. You know, back when he was in town, if I remember correctly, I think uh, Bob Paducic was uh, one of the key members on the national level of the Republican Party. And I know that Paducic and DeWine are, are pretty close politically. I know that they've been friends over the years, so it would be interesting to – uh, be a fly on the wall with some of those conversations, perhaps between Paducic and the Trump team, to see uh, how much um, you know he, he was gin- he being Paducic was ginning up uh, support for for Mike DeWine, um, and obviously we are on the ground and we're looking at Ohio politics every day. That's a luxury ha- we have that Trump doesn't. So um, it will be interesting. I I do not believe he will he will endorse Mike DeWine, but again I could be wrong. I am wrong a lot. <laughs> well, I don't know if I would want to be broadcasting that uh, as you are the founder of the, press, the Ohio Press Network, but I do understand your point. Yeah, because we are. You're right, Jack. We are just kind of speculating here on what may or may not happen, and until we find out uh, from the president himself, it is all just speculation, and so some of that can be right or yeah. wrong. Okay, uh, I want to talk about a couple of other things. You and I have uh, discussed at length mask mandates, mask requirements. There's news, sto- uh, news this morning. This is not just Ohio. But this is, you know, it impacts us as much as any other state. That the National Educators Association, Education Association, the largest teachers union in the country, is literally writing the the new policy for the CDC when it comes to mask mandates. Uh, the CDC has tightened their masking guidelines after threats from the teachers union, according to emails that have been leaked. The NEA sent a draft statement to White House officials asking, or excuse me, that included harsh criticism of the CDC. CDC and their masking guidance. The teachers union ultimately published a version with a much softer tone, and the CDC used that version literally verbatim in some points and said, okay, here's the new guidance. Jack, how can we stop the what I continue to believe to be the child abuse of, of students by forcing them to wear these uncomfortable, unhealthy things on their faces. How can we do it when we can't even, uh, we can't even get the, um, uh, you know, our elected officials to go by the science. They're instead going by teachers unions. Yeah, it's interesting, right? So that was the, that was the battle cry in the beginning. We have to follow the science and the data. Um, what's really interesting is that there's a new, uh, study that came out, published through the National Institutes of Health. So the NIH, September 2021, just released an analysis of the effects of COVID-19 mask mandates on hospital resource consumption and mortality at the county level. And this was conducted by the, the military. Two key points. On visual examination, cases continued to climb despite implementing mask orders and we found no reduction in case burden because of the mask order. And they went on to say not only case burden, but hospitalizations, ICU visits, and deaths. So another study indicating that masks don't work, 
and yet we have um, the National uh, Teachers Union pushing for them. You have the mayor of uh, Columbus now trying to mandate them. And so if you're one who actually listened to elected officials and bureaucrats in the beginning and, and dug in, which a lot of Ohioans did, by the way, you're, you're throwing your hands in the air and going, look at all of the compelling and overwhelming evidence, yet we continue to go down the road of requiring masks and, and pushing vaccinations. And uh, I think that's, I get a ton of feedback from people around Ohio on both sides of the aisle, but I, let's be honest, the masking issue really is, is right versus left. And um, depending on where you are politically, that's generally where you stand. But the, the evidence is overwhelming that masks do not, not even as a source control, they, they do not work. But yet that is the number one thing that we continue to focus on. And just looking at it just from a resource perspective, Bob, if you have time and energy and money, why do we continue to focus on something that does not have proven efficacy? Why are we not changing the messaging and helping people focus on things that may actually help them survive or may boost their immune systems? And uh, we, we continue to completely ignore that, which is stunning. I will be very, very eager to see what Warren Davidson has to say about all of these issues, about uh, potential uh, mandates in Ohio, and about whether or not he, as a governor, uh, would be willing to do what Ron DeSantis and uh, Greg Abbott and other governors have done, and that is ban mandates by individual districts for their students. Let it, leave it up to the parents. No mandates at all. If you want your kid to be uh, masked up, you let your kid be masked up. If you don't, you don't. I would be very interested to see how really all of the candidates here, uh, play that because it may uh, it may go a long way in determining who the next governor of the state of ohio is jack windsor and the ohio press network broke the story yesterday uh warren davidson is on the cusp of announcing his candidacy for the uh, gop primary in the governor's race and we'll see where it goes from there jack windsor thank you it's always a pleasure chatting with you appreciate all your hard work bob it's an honor thank you for choosing me talk to you again soon you got it my pleasure Nine we'll take a time out here and come back on am 1420 the answer It's uh, it's nine fifty eight. Apologies for the seven minute break while we waited for the EAS test that never came. Uh, they're just super reliable, absolutely fantastic. Well done, EAS. You guys are great. You just crush radio shows day in and day out. Um, Elizabeth in Fairview Park, you're on AM fourteen twenty. The answer. Thanks for your waiting, Elizabeth. Go right ahead. Thank you so much, Bob. I just wanted to say, I'm a mom of four kids. I agree completely with your thoughts about not shying away from watching the events on 9-11. And I want my children to see it, not to scare them, but just so they know the importance of that day and what happened. Um, We have to remember, and if it means we shed tears, um, then so be it. But they should also know what happened after that day and how it brought this country together. Well, you're, you're 100% right, um, and it should bring tears to their eyes, uh, and it should bring fear to their hearts, quite frankly, and I don't think that's a terrible thing. No, you never want to scare your kids, but 
presenting them with reality and then letting them know that this type of evil does exist is what's going to spur them on to as they grow older and become more responsible and become adults. It's going to it's going to spur them into action to make sure they do whatever is necessary to make sure that that kind of thing never happens to their children, so they don't have to show something that happened uh, to, during their their adulthood. Um, Elizabeth, thank you for the phone call, and God bless you and your four kids. I'm glad you're doing it right. We'll talk more about this with Dr. Everett Piper uh, coming up on AM J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.